We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. This is a podcast where we try to connect people having success in their realm and uh, talk about principles of success that are universally um, applicable. So today, we're super excited. We're down in Miami with acclaimed artist Alex Yanez. What's up, Alex? Good, man. How thanks you doing, for man? coming to the studio. Yeah, thanks yeah, for letting us be awesome. here. Yeah, for you guys that are just listening, you should be watching because the studio is amazing and it's bright and it's artistic and creative and awesome. Yeah, all, sorts of, all sorts of good juices flowing in here. Yeah. Love it. Well, for, for some of the guys that, that might not know you, I'm going to take a stab at an intro and then you correct me when I mess it up. How's that sound? Yeah, that works. Okay. So um, actually, I'll just tell them how you and I met. So I first um, became uh, aware of Alex's art. I was at home watching Red Bull TV on my Apple TV. And uh, what was the name of the documentary? They have like an art section on Red Bull TV. Do you remember what they called um, it? Ah, just so that people can search it. Maybe we'll look it up while we're talking so I can put it in here, yeah. but it was awesome. So I was sitting and I was just bored with regular TV and I pulled up this documentary and it was on um, this street art. You're not a street artist, but Miami-based artist Alex Yanez. And I watched it and, and I was just really inspired by the message, which we'll talk about, and the art that you created. And so I started following you on Instagram and then I got to see all the cool stuff you've created with all these different companies and cool people. I saw one piece that I'm actually looking at, part of it, on your far wall that I just, I coveted it. I wanted it. Right. So I hit you up on Instagram, and it was funny. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I didn't know if you were going to tell me that piece was 50 grand or, like, something that I could afford. I just, like, didn't know. And uh, you came back with me, like, hey, let's do something custom. And we probably had four or five phone conversations and consider you like my pen pal now. You're like yeah, my Miami yeah. homie. So. Yeah, that's why. When, when you contacted me and told me you were going to be in Miami, I was like, what? Oh, dude, yeah, we got to meet. We got to meet in person. And um, it's perfect because I'm kind of like, I just wrapped up Art Basel and a, a big project with Nike. So I was sort of taking a week to kind of decompress a little bit before the holidays and... You caught me, like, at a perfect time, man. Nice. We have the documentary pulled up. So Breaking the Day, season one, uh, that's what it's called, right? That's it, Breaking the Day. Breaking yeah, the so day. It, was a, it, 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 uh, it was a... It's a 24-hour period in my life um, where I created a piece for... A piece to bring awareness to the, just all the pollution that's happening here in South Florida in, in Biscayne Bay. And we found an abandoned boat where I went out at like 2 a.m. and installed this piece onto an abandoned boat uh, in the bay so that in the morning all the boaters would be able to see this message, almost like a floating billboard. Yeah, and when you say say. install the piece, for people that don't know about your art, it's not like you like hung a picture. Like your pieces, try to explain what this piece was. I mean, there's how many different... Yeah, it was a bunch of different components that I made out of... uh, Essentially, it's like building a box... And then I'm turning it in boxes into different things, adding pieces to them. So it was, they were all marine animals. Um, and uh, it, 
I, I, I make them out of basic, you know, using basic like hardware tools like jigsaws and, and um, nail guns and screw, you know, uh, drills and screws and, and then I paint them, mm -hmm. sand them and paint them. Yeah, yeah, so they're big, huge wood cutouts, they're dimensional, there's pieces to them. I mean, that whole thing, if it were on the floor of your studio, would have weighed a couple hundred pounds probably. Yeah, for and sure. You're, you're and attaching that, it to a boat. It's like a whole like mural. It's like a right. whole like scene. Yeah, that was, we had to like stake out a boat and then, um, that was my concern once I got onto the boat, because I saw the boat like from the shore, but then once I got on the boat, it had this old like rickety railing, and that's what I was going to tie everything up to. This was like a, it looked like a 1980s um, Miami Vice type boat, you yeah. know? Yeah. So Which was, you just kind of have to improvise. Had roaches on it. Yeah, it was, it was cool. So I'm proud to say now that through our Instagram interactions that Alex built me a piece for my house and now I own one of the largest Alex Yeah, one pieces. of the largest in someone's home. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. it's like six and a half feet by eight feet. So if you come to my house, we've got a whole portion of the wall dedicated yeah. to your art. But it's cool. Like you did some custom stuff for my family and stuff like that. So, um, and through that, I've just kind of gotten to know your story. So um, yeah. most recently you just did a big piece with Nike, which we'll talk about. Uh, we're big Nike fans. Our sales force is sponsored by Nike. So we do a lot of Nike stuff. Um, cool. And I know you've done um, big projects for other big corporations. Um, you mentioned Fidelity, Capital One. Yeah, Fidelity, Fidelity Investments and uh, Capital One both have some of my pieces in their corporate collections. Uh, I have a, a big a big installation in the Long Beach Museum of Art in their collection. Um, I've done some work for a bunch of bunch of different brands, um, usually for like corporate offices as as like decor type pieces mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff, which. Um, which I enjoy doing because it's always got to have like a meaning to it and it makes me have to think outside of the box a little bit um, in order to design something that's going to like fit and work with a space and, and a work environment. But um, I've been I've been blessed, man. People really think that my work is they see my work as very uplifting mm -hmm. and um, it, it works well with like work environments and I guess keeping people motivated in, in, a, in a way is usually what, what I've been told. Yeah. No, it definitely does, man. It's it's bright in color. It has its own brand, and you can tell some of your like philosophy. It comes out in the documentary, and we'll talk about all of that. But um, we're really excited to be here with you, and we want to kind of pick through your story, yeah. um, piece by piece. So, how did you get how did you get started in um, art? How did you how did you first discover the talent? I guess. Um. Oh man, I was in. Well, I. I got an award like in first grade because I drew the Easter Bunny like riding a skateboard. Do you still have this? You know that my, my mom was an elementary school teacher and as a kid, man, I would draw on everything and I would draw all the time. And I, I remember my mom sitting with me when I was like five trying to teach me to color inside the lines and I couldn't get it. And I remember being frustrated with that. Really? Yeah. Like and one of your earliest memories. One of, yeah, I remember that. Um, sitting at the kitchen table with my mom and her you know, getting frustrated and me frustrated. And um, yeah, and then in first grade, I drew the Easter Bunny riding a skateboard with like one of those old school yellow Sony Walkman yeah. with, uh, headphones on. And I got, I got an, an award at the youth fair for it. And then I just always drew. I never, I was one of those kids that was just real lucky. Like I could study an hour before the test and pass it and get yeah. good grades. Mm -hmm. But I doodled my way through um, elementary school. And yeah, I, I would draw caricatures on my friends. And then I started to realize like my, my, friends, um, my friends didn't draw. I, I could do this, but my friends couldn't do it. 
or didn't really try to do it. And that's one of those things I realized like with my kids, like, oh, I can't draw that, or I can't draw, I can only draw stick figures. And people say that all the time, but I think we're all kind of born artistic. It's just at some point our mind sort of changes uh, into another direction and we sort of let it go. But, you know, in, in high school, I was in the Art Honor Society, so I had like my friends that were artistic that I connected with 100%. And then I also played sports and I had my friends that were like athletes. Um, so I didn't really like, I wasn't a jock and I wasn't an art nerd. I was just kind of in limbo and I was in my happy place, like in my room at my drawing table, just making stuff, you know? And That's really cool. I can imagine like Keith Haring's mom having one yeah. of his drawings from kindergarten. <laughs> it's mega box, Keith, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, hey, <laughs> man, know. this is Alex's first drawing. <laughs> so your style, how do you describe your style? I've heard you say it's installation art, right? But what, well, like for yeah. someone that hasn't seen it, how would you describe your style? Man, I think, you know, my art's, People, people always want to categorize it, and it's just a bunch of different influences mixed into one. There, there's a pop art aesthetic to it because of the colors that I use, and it's so vibrant. But then there's also like a bit of a folk art aesthetic to it because it's all handmade, and it's all like my, my characters and um, that I bring to life. Oh, there you go. Choppers. We got, if you guys we got some here, chopper, we got, we're yeah. outside. Yeah, the, the, the studios by a motorcycle shop that they're really proud of their exhaust pipes. So Yeah, <laughs> they just go up and down, up and down. Setting off your day. car alarm and stuff. Yeah. Not a big deal when you're not filming a podcast. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, not, yeah, it doesn't bother me. Uh, it's also kind of, your art's kind of like poetic. Like I'm looking at it on the wall and like, you do stuff with lettering, but I'm looking at a big art thing that says never better. Another one that says good vibes. Another one that says the feels days later. Like there's, you have this way with phrasing that kind of summarizes the piece that I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it's, whoa, this guy's let it rip, man. Yeah. Let me like park by the garage and just do donuts. Yeah. Thanks, man. Maybe they don't like us, dude. Yeah, was, <laughs> the Hell's Angels are waiting for us outside. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, there's, I, I, I relate that to music. I've always, although I'm not a musician and I, I, I've never learned how to play an instrument. I mean, it's never too late, but I always have music on in my studio. And I've all, as far back as I can remember, I've always listened to music while making art. And I think that's got something to do with it. Possibly. What kind of music do you listen to? Everything. I mean, depends on the on the day. But um, lately, I'm more into a lot of like instrumental stuff I've been listening to. But uh, what kind what? of instrumental? Like, um, I've been listening to like this electronic? band called like it... no, no, like jazz, funk, stuff like that. Um, I back in the day, like in the '90s, when I was teenager, like was kind of the whole electronic thing started out, and they had all the raves, and I used to listen to like DJ Goldie, like drum and bass stuff, mm-hmm. but. Not anymore because it just makes me work too. It gets me too crazy. I can work too fast. I'm getting older now, and I kind of want to slow things down a little bit. And um, but I'm also like, you know, I I read or heard somewhere that you stay frozen in the music of like your favorite era of your life. And I'm really content with my life now. I'm really happy, but it's hard for me to get into new music. So I'm kind of frozen in the '90s. Like I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan, and like I love grunge and like. yeah, and you know, '90s hip hop. Like I'm into Wu Tang and all that stuff. Nice. Still, so too. you got a, you got like a lot of our sales guys when they're driving out to the area, they'll have like their pump up song, or you know what I mean. Like yeah. they're like, hey, I gotta have a huge day today. Yeah, like this is what I'm listening to. When you know you have like you're coming to the studio and you're like, I really have, I'm up against the deadline, or I've yeah. got a nail today. Um, I, I was actually surprised that some of our guys' answers that a lot of them actually when they know they have to perform. 
they actually just don't listen to anything. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself just doing that as well? It depends how much coffee I had in the morning. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, like where I'm at, but uh, when, when I'm gonna go like to the gym or work out or something, I, it's always like Rage Against the Machine or something like that. And there you go. In the, in the studio, I, I mix it up, man. Like, yeah, it depends the mood I'm in, but I, I listen to, all, like I said, all kinds of stuff. Sometimes I'm listening to like reggae dub music just because it's Easy. chill and uplifting and, you know. You um, ever look at like a doodle and like, what was I listening to that day? Like, well, this is crazy. Like, yeah. so I'm just like, this is the weirdest idea or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I have like, you know, it's funny because my, my assistant comes in and like, he's like, oh, it's, Punk Rock Tuesday today, huh? You know, or like, yeah. So it's 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 always changing, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I I just I guess I don't listen to a lot of like radio pop music at all. Yeah. I have uh, my go-to if I have a creative project is I listen to Bass Nectar. You ever listen oh, to Bass Nectar? Yeah, cool. And it's like I'll have my headphones on and my wife will come into my office and just see me from the back and like my body moves a certain way when it's on Bass Nectar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, see, <laughs> cool. when did uh, when did this turn into um, the possibility that it could be a career? Or um, well, actually, maybe even before that, working with wood that's pretty unique. Um, mm -hmm. How did that all start? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I was I was big into skateboarding, and we didn't have any parks, skate parks in Miami. Now, now we do, um, but we didn't. We didn't back in the in the early '90s, late '80s. I sent like five dollars for a blueprint to Thrasher magazine and built a lawn tramp with my dad. And Isn't that then, crazy that back in the day, it's like five bucks in an envelope sent just to an address. Your house, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I sent a crispy five dollar bill yeah. in an envelope, like to <laughs> That's California. That's like paper route money, yeah, right? Like, totally. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that I that. See, like, I wish I still had that blueprint because that was a life-changing thing for me. And, and then, so I built skate ramps and my dad trusted me enough with the tools that I wouldn't get hurt and that I was able to just use them on my own whenever I wanted. And I had a, my dad had a garage full of tools. So I started building ramps with my buddies and bending plywood and building ramps. And, and then I remember my, my senior year of high school, my buddy... Mauricio and I, he was like, he was an artist too, he still is, we're still good friends. He lived on the block behind me and we were painting on some scrap like plywood pieces. We were painting like characters and stuff. And he was like, man, Al, why don't you cut it out with the jigsaw? And it was like, light bulb went off and I cut it, I cut it out with a jigsaw. And then I started like almost m m layering my pieces like a pop-out book would look, trying to mimic like a pop-out book. And that's what I did. Like my parents have one of my first ones in their house, like, and it's dated like 1997. Wow. And it's it's upstairs, and it's a uh, it's like a guy and a girl, and they're underwater, and he's like, there's like fish in the background swimming, and the guy's like handing her a flower underwater, and um, my dad's kept it all these years, and my buddies like my buddies that have seen it, they always trip out that you know know my work and never seen something that old. Like, yeah, I, I've cool. always thought about posting it for like Throwback Thursday. You should, man. But, that's cool. Um, I think I think people would trip out on it, but you know me. It's like my my favorite piece is always the last one I made, right. and it's that endless like quest for perfection that keeps me motivated and, and going. I mean, it's it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Because I get that. Yeah, that's for sure. Go ahead, sorry. Um, I was gonna say that the um, hey the motorcycle guy's back, dude, and they're never that bad. But it's just right all, now they are. It's yeah, just usually. All Two things. First thing that's interesting is that your first piece is ocean inspired. So you yeah. just always had that. Yeah, always. I mean, uh, growing up down here in South Florida, we're surrounded by water. You have like beautiful, the most beautiful beaches, you know, top 10 at least. And then we have the Florida Keys. 
So we'd always vacation to these places or just go on a weekend, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, spending them at the beach. And uh, we'd, we'd always go on vacations to the beach, like in the summer for a week or so. And my, my parents and my, my sisters and brother-in-law and I, we all, we still, we keep that tradition alive, like with our kids now. And we, whoop. I think they're gone now. We, uh, I can't imagine there's many more of them, right? Yeah. Is it like a whole clubhouse <laughs> no, over there? No, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we keep the tradition alive, and we always, like, we rent a house in the summer for a week, and we all go stay there, and we either stay on the key, in the Florida Keys or on the beach. And my sister's, I don't own a boat right now, but my, my sister has a boat, my brother-in-law's got a boat, and um, a bunch of my buddies do. So when I was growing up as a kid, my dad had, like, a, a 22-foot bayliner, and we'd be out on the weekends um, snorkeling in the reefs and fishing and all that stuff. So I grew up, I grew up in the water. And then I got into, in the 90s, some, some of my buddies got into surfing that I skated with. And then I got into surfing. And we'd take like surf trips up coast to like Sebastian Inlet and Fort Pierce. And it was fun because it gave me like a reason to take road trips. And that was a Real fun time in my life, man. Just taking those road trips with my buddies with like twenty bucks and yeah, go get lost for the weekend with like twenty bucks, man. You can't do that anymore, you know. So that's and just cool. surf. Can yeah, revisit it with some of the stuff you create and yeah, still listen yeah, to yeah. That's stuff. a big. I mean, that's a the the nautical theme is is a recurring thing in my work. Definitely, yeah, that's great. With um, so our guys do direct sales. That's Adam and I. We work with direct sales teams. So these guys will take. Um, you know, when, when they come on board, a lot of guys come on board with, with our company and they like what we're doing. They, uh, you know, they think it's cool that we're doing um, sustainability and they think it's cool that you can have a good career but also do something that's important for the planet. But there's no blueprint for that, really. I mean, we have some training and stuff like that, but a lot of the, the, the success of your career is self-made, right? You have to, sure. You'll take your training and you take your influences and stuff, but you have to go out and put the work in. So when you were making these early um, characters and stuff like that, did you feel um, a motivation by creation? And I think that's something that, that our guys feel because they literally, we'll go into a neighborhood that doesn't have any solar. Right. And by the time a really good uh, salesperson leaves, it's covered in solar and they can stand back and look at it and they, they feel that feeling. Is there, is there something like that with the art you make? Oh yeah, that's always, uh, it's never been about the money or, um, so it, it was never about the money or some of these things that I've achieved. It was just, it's always just making something out of nothing from beginning to end and seeing that finished product and taking it from my mind and then seeing it like on the wall or bring, like bringing it to life, making it something that, that you can hold has always been the challenge. Like I, I love that. I remember when um, in 1993 we had like Hurricane Andrew come through mm -hmm. and it just wrecked, that. destroyed everything. And I had, I mean, you know, we hunkered down and put like hurricane shutters up on the house and we hunkered down and kind of like a bomb shelter. And I remember coming out the next day and like everything was gone. And um, this was before cell phones. So like I couldn't get a hold of some of my friends and they were all displaced and we didn't have power for almost three weeks. And the everybody's like radios had run out of batteries, you know, and, and water was like running short. And I had... The, a Sony Walkman, like, and I remember splicing, I, I spliced off the headphones and then spliced the cables and connected them to these little like stereo speakers I had. And then like we had a radio again and we were able to listen to the news and whatever. And that was for me the, the earliest memory of like 
making something out of nothing or fixing something. And I, I, do, I do relate like making art to like fixing things. And like this day and age, everybody just sort of throws things out and I'm still kind of like a fix it kind of guy. That's you know? cool. Yeah. We, we just did an interview with one of our um, Florida-based leaders and uh, he had said, it was funny because he's a funny guy and he's like, we walk into these neighborhoods and I see all these naked roofs. So these naked roofs, so he's, yeah. he's, like, he's like, what can I do to this neighborhood? Like dress it up a little bit. And he's like, put solar on it. That's kind of like his mentality. We laughed about it because he's really funny in the way. Well, he said down it, here, like I, you know, especially in South Florida, so if, like people had solar, we wouldn't have that issue with the power company and losing power for that long. And the grid, like, yeah. it's just when, you know. When you make a piece of art, I I would imagine like with every all the energy you put into it and all the thought and passion that you put into it. Um, is it like, uh, I'm, I'm imagining like your dog has a litter of puppies and you're like, I don't wanna give these puppies away. Like I've just raised them for eight weeks. Yeah. Like you're not, I'm not like, I wanna keep all the puppies now, right? Yeah. Like do you have that feeling when you make a really cool piece? Of course, yeah. And then you're like, man, I'm sad to see this one go. Yeah. And I'm not gonna see it anymore. Right. You know, like is it, you feel like you're like losing like a piece of you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, they're all, they're all handmade. They're one of a kind. And even if I wanted to recreate it, I couldn't because right. I do use like, I do use a lot of repurposed materials in some of the pieces that you can't really replicate. Right. And um, yeah, and that's why um, it's always cool when I know where the pieces go. Like like Tyler's piece is in his house and I know Tyler personally. Right. So that's touch. always cool to have that connection. But then sometimes, you know, I sell pieces through the galleries and I don't really know who buys them right. unless they maybe tag me on Instagram or something. And, and I do wonder kind of where they went, but... Uh, that the emotional, I guess, the emotional attachment's always there to each piece. That's why they're, that's why they're expensive, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they're original works of art, you yeah. know. Yeah. I had a I had a cousin who um, he was an aspiring musician, and you know, also in the art industry, right? And he was spending a lot of money on his schooling and all this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, we would say to him like, hey, like until you're making money, like this is just a cool hobby you're doing. Mm-hmm. So when when did that like threshold cross for you? Like when did you cross that barrier where it it stopped being a hobby that was just kind of something that you were doing into a profession that you started making money? Um, Well, one of my, I had a friend of mine who was like bartending at a bar on Miami Beach and he got like this gig to throw a party on like Wednesday nights. And he was like, hey Al, I'm gonna have like some local bands and like, why don't you bring some of your art and put it up on the walls like for the night? And what was the venue? It was uh, at the Marlin Hotel on Miami Beach. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm down. So I went on a Wednesday, hung up on my art, and one of these dudes, one of these local dudes I knew that like I would see him surfing out on the on the water and stuff. He's like, hey man, how much is that piece? And it was like 200 bucks, you know. And I I sold it to him, and then. His buddy saw it and he wanted to buy one. Was that one like the first time you'd sold a piece? Like? First time I sold, yeah, like first made sale. some cash. Yeah, that night, like he went to the ATM, <laughs> gave me cash, took it home. What and did I was it feel like? like? Oh, felt great. I was like, cool. And then like the money was gone, you know? And then the, <laughs> and then the piece was gone. And I was like, damn, I got to make some more. So that's kind of what we were talking about. And, um, and it's funny because now, you know, 15 years later, um, some of these Friends, like old friends that I haven't seen in forever have seen me on Instagram and they'll be like, hey dude, remember this piece? Like I still have it. And they're kind of oh, coming crazy. back Yeah, and I'm seeing photos of these pieces from way back and I don't remember them. Oh wow. Yeah, and it's like, oh, well when I see it I do, but you know, at the moment it's like, I, I don't remember it. And it's kind of cool because it brings it back. But, that but cool. yeah, that was it. And then from there, like, 
I kind of did that thing where it was always, like I said, it was always synced to music. Like my, I did, you know, CD covers and and like zines with my buddies, and it was like very organic and homegrown. And their bands would play, and I'd bring some pieces or paint live, and that was kind of the outlet here in Miami back then. Like before we had an art scene for, um, I guess, like our genre or our generation's art scene, because it was always a, a very like Latin based um just a latin based art scene where it was a lot of like cuban masterworks and stuff that was smuggled in that you couldn't really acquire and you know crazy expensive stuff but like our generation didn't have an outlet here until wow. until winwood so it was always like music venues with art and we'd mix it all together and that was kind of the scene and i'm still i'm still friends with like four or five of the guys that i used to do that with back in the day and they're still making art and they're all like they're all doing really well now, you know? None of us are starving, which is that's, pretty cool. That's super yeah. awesome. So you're kind of at the front of that movement. It's almost like we told you, Tony Hawk was our first guest, and it's almost like when he was skating, you asked him, like, did you think this would be a career? And he was like, guys, like, there was right. no industry. Like, when you were coming right. up, there was no, there was no Instagram. There's no, like, hey, no. man, if I can get a few pieces on Instagram, maybe get a shout-out from Alex, maybe I can make it. Right. So talk about the mall experience for you and the mall opportunity and kind of what that became. Um, you mean for with the gallery? Yeah, like yeah. That, that was kind of like a like it was a, a jump pivotal off for thing. Career, yeah, right? I um, yeah, I actually, it was I was like at my, at my cousin's like, uh, I remember the day. It was like my cousin's wedding. It's like a wedding. Uh, what do you call it? Like a when when you get together like the like wedding, engagement party, oh, okay. engagement party or whatever. And they stretch weddings out to have a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> and, and he, we were like out on the beautiful restaurant on the water. And like, he's like, hey, man, you want to be my best man? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And then next day, uh, I get a call. At, at, while I'm at, the, while I'm at the, the party, I get a call from my buddy. And he's like, hey, man, I got a gallery. Like, they want to give us a gallery, a Coca Walk. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, dude, it's, it, it, they're, they're, you know, everything's like in foreclosure and they got all these empty storefronts and they, they need the lights on. So, so it's like, like a retail mall, like retail a mall, like outdoor a- mall in Miami. It's, it's a beautiful place and um, had like a movie theater, bars um, and stuff. But all the retail stores were kind of closing. So we we opened up this place and we called it the Alt Space Gallery and put up all our work. And dude, it was awesome. Like we gave the mall like 10 percent of sales. And all we had to do was keep the lights on, like pay the power. It was like $200 a month. No and way. Had, yeah, it was crazy. And we had, it was during the recession, like 2008, 2009. And so we had to be open mall hours. Um, that was one of the, one of the, the rules. And so then were you there? You were like in the store, like showing people your stuff? Or showing people my stuff, yeah, all day. And I was making stuff there. And, um, and I was selling a lot of work. It was cool because all the tourist buses would go there and drop people off. Oh, so how cool. Yeah, my work was starting to kind of spread out a little bit. And um, I had a couple come in like late on a Tuesday night and I was about to like close down and they really liked my work and they offered me to replace a really well-known artist in Miami with a calendar that he would do like yearly for a supermarket chain. And it was kind of my first like big gig and my wife was pregnant with our first child at the time. And man, I did it and I ended up doing it for four years in a row. And I I put out like an eco-friendly calendar um, that was like bringing awareness to endangered species, and I painted a bunch of animals, and like, um, it. They printed like a million calendars, and they spread them down from like West Palm Beach to the Florida Keys, and like, that was kind of a start for me. From a phone call at a party, These like, were like the- yeah, it's crazy. What? Yeah. How one thing leads to another. 
Yeah, and it's I, been a common theme with a lot of our guests. Yeah, and I've heard you say a couple times, man, I've just been really lucky. But like, so think about that. Like, the fact that someone called and offered you a pretty much free space. I mean, ten yeah. percent of the art, whatever. Just no, dude, right? unheard of, right? And then you're gonna close down. Someone happens to come in. You replace a well-known artist, and then you're like distributing all up and down. Right. Miami. What other what other evidences of that do you have? Because we've been hanging out today, and I've heard a yeah. few. Like, what are things where you're like, well, had that not happened, yeah, this whole thing might not be. Well, I mean, like after. Okay, so like while we're having this gallery, you know, it was a short-lived thing. I think we were there maybe like ten months or so, right? Mm-hmm. And when I knew that that was gonna end, another buddy of mine calls me up, and he's like, "Hey, I got a studio at the Bakehouse Art cl- Complex." And what that is, it, dude, it was like in a real sketchy part of town where you didn't want to really be. Um, and it was an old bakery and they had converted it into artist space, like just studio spaces. And you had to submit your work and you had to be selected by a panel and whatever. So I, I submitted my work. It was a bunch of like, dude, old, old ladies like painting, you know parrots and like making pottery and shit like i didn't do that but my buddy ross got in right so i was like dude if ross can he's like i'll just apply man you'll you'll get in whatever so i remember applying and being like so nervous hoping i could get in and dude they called me and i got in there and i got a studio there and little did we know there was like two galleries popped up in this part of town and then it went nuts and now it's Wynwood and it's all gentrified and muraled out and like the Goldman, Goldman's had a bunch of property there, you know, and they, uh, it's like the Soho of Miami and I was just there at the right time and I met all these artists, man, and we were all making moves and um, gave me a great outlet because they had like uh, once a month, they, they had open studios on a Friday and like everybody would go there to scoop up art and I met a ton of people there and that was for me like kind of a jumping point here locally um and then just through that and word of mouth and social media i was able to get my studio where i'm at now where i had somebody else uh, an art collector offered me a space um in return i i donate like pieces to his charity uh, once a year which is like for the nicholas children's hospital and um i've had a studio now for 10 years where it's five minutes from my house and so cool. Dude, like, yeah, a lot of things have fallen into place for so me. So on two That's different definitely. occasions, you've been given a studio yeah. where you basically are required to pay the electric bill, and then... Yeah. And that's just unheard of. No, man. Who, some some higher power you, wants me to, like, yeah, yeah be making art, because, dude, I mean, and even if I didn't have this space, I'd still be making art. I'd be making it in my garage. Dude, I worked in my in my backyard. When my wife and I, when I didn't have a studio, um, I, I made art in my backyard with, like, one of those fold-up tents, and that was my studio in the backyard in, in a place that we rented and I cut wood and make stuff outside. And The thing that I find interesting though, cause like you're, you're pretty humble about your success. Cause I mean, when we go through the list of people you've made stuff for, I mean, they're, they're big names, right? Like it's yeah. big companies and stuff. But I, the thing that I find interesting is you mentioned you're about to, when you're in the space at the mall, you're about to maybe dip out early, mm-hmm. right? But then you decided to stay and then yeah. this, four-year job with all this exposure came in, right? And then you mentioned that this studio came to you by some guy who liked your art. Yeah. But the interesting thing that I think a lot of successful people might not know about themselves is you stayed, right? Like you were 
you put in the extra, it was 10 minutes in that case, but if that's your personality, you've probably put extra hours on days or maybe you're frustrated or whatever. Sure. And what we've seen with a lot of the people that we've interviewed is presence, man. Like the fact that you stuck, you, you did stay the extra 10 minutes and yeah. then- And even the night that the couple came in, like I'm imagining in a mall, especially like an art studio, you probably don't get traffic like an Apple store does, right? I mean, no. you, you might go hours with someone not walking in your sure. studio. So to just stay until closing time, like I'm sure it had to be tempting to like, you know, I'll cut out an hour early, no one will notice, you know, yeah, I'll just to, kill the lights. But you stayed and right. that's when things happen. Yeah, because, you know, the weeknights at that mall are dead. Right. And it was like summer and it rains and like it was like just one of those, you know, kind of rainy days where no one's really out. And this was like an outdoor mall. So it just wasn't supposed to. It wasn't really the day for that, you know, or you yeah. would expect that kind of thing. Ooh, I wanted to ask real quick before we move on. Um, you've worked with some pretty big names. Yeah. Uh, for, the, for our guys that, and our guys and girls salespeople that don't know you as well, who's some of the big names that you've, like, worked with? And then I guess what's going through your mind when all of a sudden you hear so-and-so wants one of your pieces of art? Yeah, well, um, like, I, I ended up doing some I, – I was commissioned by a, a – big like entertainment industry guy down here in Miami, Dave Grutman. And uh, he came in, I was, I did a show with Chris Nunez from like Ink Master and Miami Ink. And then Dave Grutman came to my show cause he was friends with him and like bought a bunch of my pieces. And I didn't really know who he was. And, he's like a business guy, right? He owns well, like- Yeah, he owns a bunch of nightclubs and restaurants mm-hmm. and um, he's a hospitality, hospitality guy. But I, He's like, yeah, I just bought this house on Star Island, on uh, Sunset Island. Um, can you bring me the work and like hang it up? I'm like, yeah, cool. So I went over there and installed like eight of my pieces up in his new beautiful house, like on the water. And got like the boat in the back and the whole nine. And um, yeah, Dave, like this is a good friend to have. <laughs> yeah, he's we're friends. We've known each other like six years now. We're friends, and like he's a dad now. It's it's really we have a good relationship. You know, he's a good friend. Um, but I. I didn't know that he was going to be like hosting a ton of celebrities. They all come and they stay at his house, you know? So I like met Hulk Hogan there. Like I, I was at his house and like Hulk Hogan came downstairs and he was like, what's for up, a brother? child of the 90s? Yeah. That's dude, it. Dude, like, Hulk Hogan, man. Yeah. Like, come on. He's like, it could be two people like Hulk Hogan or Michael Jordan yeah. or Tony Hawk. Right. But yeah, like, right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, Hulk Hogan just walks out and is like, Hey, what's up brother? You know? And I'm like, like, you're just like, that. Dude, like Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And, um, and well, anyways, like, so a lot of these celebrities that go through Dave's house, see my work. And then I would get, I started getting like phone calls and, um, I got a call from like Kanye West manager and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I didn't even believe that it was, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, um, but no, it's, it's been good, man. I've met like some pretty cool creatives through, uh, through that, like Pharrell and, and Swiss Beats and, um, other creatives that are like doing some real big things. And um, I never, I guess I just couldn't like really put myself in that realm because like I, I was talking to you about that earlier, like I'm just such a blue collar guy. But then what I realized is that so are they and they, they work all the time. And um, you know, that's the thing. Like I'm still, I'm still best friends with all my same buddies that from high school. And like, we've all kept our, our clique together and like uh, they're lawyers, you know, one's a doctor. Um, a few of the guys are biz- own their own businesses and that sort of thing. And like, um, I think I work more hours than all of them. And I never, like, 
I guess it's because it's my dream job, but it's also my passion, so I can't turn it off. I wish I could sometimes. Like, I wish I could turn it off and go on vacation for a couple of days with a wife and kids and not think about art at all. But it's almost like a, a compulsive thing that I kind of have to do to feel like me. I don't know if it makes sense. But. I think it does, and I think yeah. everybody that's listening, and if there's, we have a lot of uh, guys that'll listen to these and they'll play them for like their wives and stuff because it helps everybody kind of understand the, the job. But that mentality is not unique to art, I don't think. Like, yeah. how many of us listening here would say, man, I wish I could shut this off, but we're, our job is very social. Like, we're recruiting yeah. people, and one of the correlations that I think of is I can, just like your situation with the mall, I can think of countless people where had I not made that trip, had I not reached out to that great salesman, I wouldn't have this predominant leader who has recruited hundreds of people. Right? So it's almost yeah. like, oh, I got lucky that I met that guy. But really, it's like, no, I opened my mouth when the opportunity presented itself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But also the, the idea that it never shuts off. Like, I think for really successful people, there's not a hard line between this is Alex at work, this is Alex at home. This studio looks like your life. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, it's kind it of is. all the same thing. Right? It is. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Like my, I, uh, I've said it before, like I kind of look at it now like it's not this deadline. It's like my whole life is one big deadline. Yeah. <laughs> and all the pieces, it's just really like one big piece. You know, I'm always, I'm always going to be creating. I mean, there's no retirement for me. I mean, what would I do? Yeah. Know? <laughs> I want to hear about the Nike experience. Um, yeah. Nike calls you yeah. and says what? Um, yeah, it all like it usually just all starts with an email and hey, we're gonna do you know we'd like to have you as a, a featured artist for the Maker Studio during Art Basel. Did they say how they'd heard about you or? Um, n- no, they just they, they knew my work like just go. viral type you know like mo- most of these contacts now it's you know it's so important like you don't know who's watching you on social media and who's keeping tabs and. Social media had to be a game changer for all artists probably. All right? artists, yeah, of course. So when, when Instagram. I would assume Instagram probably the most, just because sure. it's a photo-based app. Definitely. How Instagram. did that affect your business um, and just affect your, well, you know? Man, I'm like able to post one piece and just the, the outreach of it is, it's insane how far it goes. And um, I've shipped pieces now like all over the world just because of Instagram. And, and um, it's led to so many other opportunities and connections and, you know, it's a great tool. Yeah. Game, I think, game changer. I think the thing that's different about you, I don't know if you know what's different about you, but I've noticed a few different things because we reach out to people all the time. We like to connect people that are having success because it, it helps our guys glean inspiration and stuff like that. We have a lot of speakers and athletes mm-hmm. and stuff that come and talk to our groups. But um, the thing that surprises me about your uh, brand and your Instagram is you are really active like you're incredibly easy to get a hold of and I look at how busy you are here and we've tried to connect before and it's like hey yeah. sorry I wasn't but you respond to people and you connect with people like yeah when I told my wife I was like look at this piece I'm gonna hit him up yeah. but I don't know if you're gonna write me back and yeah. it's like here's an email here's my phone number let's chat let's figure it out so like you're not just an art you're a businessman and you're a connector and you know how to have relationships I think that's really yeah rare. well you know what and I kind of learned I had to learn that early on because I had to hustle my work. And I had to, once my wife was pregnant with our, with our first child and it was, everything changed, you know? And I had to, in order to make this a full-time thing, I had to be the marketing guy, the sales rep. I had to do all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And now it's, um, I have a really hard time with letting, giving up some of that control and not having to do it. But at the same time, I mean, when people reach out to me, uh, I don't know, it's rude not to get back to him, I guess, you would say. And just at least for me, you know, um, 
it, it's an honor that someone would just contact me about the work in the first place and, and like it that much. You mentioned, um, you mentioned when your wife was pregnant yeah. and you were kind of up against the wall. I think a lot of our sales guys, when they start, it's a straight commission job. So sure. they're taking this leap from, you know, maybe this base salary or hourly or whatever. And yeah. we're saying, hey, this opportunity outweighs the risk. Mm-hmm. And um, what you do is straight commission as well. Yeah. And you're not paid a salary by anyone. You're, you know, you're self-employed. So um, I think there's times when our sales guys feel this pressure to perform. And some guys do really well with pressure, and then others don't. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you work through that pressure of knowing my wife's pregnant, she's relying on me to generate income, and it all depends on my ability to be creative and then also market it and then also sell it. Right. Right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's a lot of pressure to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Did you find that it affected your level of creativity when you felt more pressure or did you feel like you thrived in it and why yeah um a little bit of both at first it there's always that pressure and it's it is difficult to be creative at least for me when i'm when i'm like overly stressed out but once i get going it just starts to flow and once i get into that like flow some for some reason or another like it always worked it always works out man like 90 percent of the stuff i worry about never happens Right. And then I've also learned. I think that's an important mindset. Well, yeah. Because right uh, what happens to a lot of guys is that that pressure or that fear paralyzes them yeah. and they don't they don't just right. go to work. Right. And that's so we, the always, difference. we always say, hey, listen, you know, you're so you're feeling this pressure and you spend time driving around looking for the perfect door. Or something. Like just get out of your car and go yeah. knock doors and go start. Right. And then yeah. you might meet that person. That's right. 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 That was 100%. that sale that everybody on the street knows, and that's what got you. And you're like, well, Thank that's why I met that guy. Like you were saying, I mean, that's why I'm accessible, make myself accessible, and and reply to people because that's the only avenue to just get things rolling, just to get it rolling, whether it leads to something or not. That point of contact is the most important thing, just the first point of contact. But another, another, another thing that's like always worked for me is just not. I never like tried to will myself into situations. Somebody doesn't want something, they don't want it, you know? Like, I don't know, just keep, keep on, like, wasting energy on something. That's a direct seller's mantra right there. You have to know when to walk away. That's right. Yeah. Um, Something, a story I think our listeners would identify with is your first, is it your first Art Basel where you sold that big piece and... Yeah. Yeah. If you could, I know it might be, that's that story, when I listened to that, I was listening to another podcast. It happened here, man. Yeah, it, it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that we work with that have felt that exact same thing. So maybe yeah. if you wouldn't mind taking us through the story, how you got the first Art Basel and what happened with it. Yeah, well, I, I, um, I had a bunch, made a bunch of pieces in the studio and like didn't have anywhere to show them. And well, luckily, one of my friends called me up and he, was, he had just been hired to curate a gallery space in Wynwood. And he gave me a wall, and I just I hung all my pieces in there. And this is in the early stages of your career, like you yeah, know. this was like 2009. And, um, and when was your was your wife pregnant at this time? Yeah, yeah. And so this um, is back against the wall time. Back against the wall time, totally. And so I put all these pieces up, and they had the opening night. Like Art Basel starts on a Wednesday, and they had the opening like on a Tuesday night, just to kind of beat the rush. And the opening was packed and I ended up selling like my biggest piece and it was like 7,500 bucks and you know, the gallery keeps half, I make half. So I call my wife, I'm like, I just sold a piece, you know, made, you know, three grand and, 
and you know we're cool and she's it was like, three grand at that time right like that's three grand that's at money that time was yeah. money i mean it was you know my rent and some food and whatever else i needed for the month and like um anyways it it, it was a good feeling and I, I felt like i had made the sale and everything was cool and the next day my buddy calls me and tells me the guy's check bounced oh. um, yeah my piece was still in the gallery but like, there goes that sale. So right? what goes through your mind? Like, did you feel like, oh, did you stay above it or were you crushed? Dude, I wanted to check for seven grand that knows their check's gonna bounce, by the way. Right, exactly. They really wanted that oh, piece. So bad like, trying to show really off that piece. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, dude, I was like kind of devastated, man. It's just, you know, in my career, there's been so many ups and letdowns and like, having to like muscle through those letdowns is, is a huge factor. Like I wanted to quit so many times and that's what I was gonna say. Like when that bounce, like you call your pregnant wife and say, "Hey, it's gonna be all right. I got some money." And then the next day, I wanted to quit. What, that day. So what was the conversation? I wanted like to walk with your away. Wife? I wanted to walk away. Um, I didn't even tell her. I actually called one of my buddies, and he gave me like the best advice I've ever heard. And he was like, "Dude, like don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens." Wow. And I've always like had that in my head. And he's like, "Don't. It's all right, man. It's gonna work out, dude." Like. It's all right. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna listen to him and I'll roll with it. And like, I, I, was, I was here in the studio and I, like, I was so broken. Like I, I called out to the universe and I was like, look, I just wanna take care of my kids. Like whatever you want me to do, I'll work construction. This is like a kneel and pray time Yeah, or man, something. kneel and pray time, totally. And, really? and that, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, and the, I turned the lights off in here and I just like sat in the dark and like was 100% honest with myself. And I was like, man, I'll walk away from it right now. I'll do whatever I gotta do to take care of my family. And like, I, I pulled myself together and I went and I picked my daughter up. Um, and we like, I took her to get ice cream. And I was, I was like, I'm not gonna think about Art Basel. And like right now, it, it was the day it was starting and there was like tons of people in Wynwood. And my phone went off and it was like a, a San Francisco number and I picked up and it was an art, an art collector and he's like, hey, I'm opening up a gallery. He's like, I wanna buy like four of your pieces out front, um, up front and, and resell them in Chicago. And I was like, okay. He's like, can I come to your studio? I'm like, yeah, of course. So wow. the guy came to the studio and he like bought four of my pieces and then I sold like everything at the gallery, including the one that the guy's check bounced. And um, that led to stuff going viral. And then I, I was offered a, like a show in, in Brooklyn so I took like all my pieces to Brooklyn and I sold out in Brooklyn and then that, that went viral and led to a gallery that I always wanted to work with um, in LA seeing my work and I've been working with them ever since, man. And they started putting me in all the major art fairs and museum collections and corporate collections and like, I've, dude, I've never, I never looked back. Dude, don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens. Yeah, it's, it's the best advice I've ever been given. Imagine had you gotten frustrated and said, rip it down, I'm out. Yeah. And all of that other stuff. It's almost like when you'd like, have you ever read The Alchemist? Have you heard of that book? I've heard of it, yeah. It's insane, dude, but it's, it basically talks about when you really want something, the universe conspires to help you get it, right? Yeah. And that your life is kind of like that from what I gather, but it's yeah. like, it's almost like you say, okay, this is what I want, and then comes the opposition and the test where it's like, okay, I'm gonna test you, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then if you just hang with it, that's where everything's on the other side of that, right? Yeah, I never, I never, once, um, I never once didn't think I was gonna make it. I knew it was gonna be hard, but I never once didn't think it was gonna happen. Is there something you do for that mindset or that mentality, or do you just think you always had it? Because you're a pretty yeah, upbeat person. Like, like yeah, you're a pretty I mean, positive guy. Like, yeah, how just, do people that maybe don't have that 
yeah. adopt that, you know? Especially during the downtimes, right? I mean, it's yeah. like you always had that confidence. And I feel like a lot of our top guys still go through slumps sometimes, yeah. right? And they have little mental things they do to, like, get themselves going again. Yeah. Um, so how do you, yeah, how do you... I think everybody goes, I mean, everybody, I think everybody goes through those times. I mean, it's just life. You got to like roll with the punches and pick yourself up. And Mm -hmm. I've always been able to pick myself up. I think I learned that early on, like uh, playing sports and learning how to lose, you know, and get back up and do it again. Same, just like skateboarding, you know, busting yourself up, getting up, doing it again. And I think that's just uh, something that I'm, I'm, I'm really, I really spend time trying to instill into my kids. Yeah. You know, you're going to get beat up, man. It's just, you got to get back up. Yeah. That's... The for sure thing is you're going to take some lumps, right? Yeah. Um, your dad gave you a piece of advice when you told him that you wanted to do art full-time. We have a lot of guys. Yeah. So uh, I, I share this pretty openly. My dad's the CEO of a bank. All of my brothers are professional door-to-door salespeople, right? Yeah. So the first time, I remember going to my dad the <laughs> very first so time. Proud. Yeah. dad's so proud. <laughs> <laughs> the story is actually I recruited my little brother who's like kind of like a just natural. Yeah. And he's really good and he's worked really hard and we're partners now. But he... Uh, uh, he was supposed to be like this career golfer. He's a really good golfer. And um, my dad once called me. He's like, hey, do not recruit your brother. Like, don't bring him into your world. Now, we've had really long careers here. But now my dad's one of our biggest fans of this job and stuff. But um, when, so I know what it's like to go to your dad and say, hey, I'm going to be a professional door-to-door salesman, right? For you, what was that like telling your dad and, and what advice did he give you? Yeah, well, I thought I thought my dad was gonna freak out. Yeah. You know, and, um, was there an actual moment that you like told him this? Like, yeah. He like, hey, like, so what's the plan? Like, we're starting college. Well, he was soon, asking me like, what the plan was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. he, I was still at my, living at my parents' house, painting in my room, and my dad was like, so what's the plan with all this stuff you're making? You know? <laughs> I was like, I'm looking around. You're like, like, you're like, like orders, uh, you know? Like, yeah. This is it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, here it is. And uh, and I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be an artist. And he's like, oh. You mean like you're gonna sell paintings? And I said, yeah. And he's like, he looked at me and was like, well, then you got to do it every day, like it's your job, you know. And that was for me has always been exactly how I look at things. I, I get up, you know, I get up in the morning and I, <clears throat> I have like my routine, where the the first I just get, I get up early before my wife and my kids and I just get quiet and I kind of like I, I meditate. I put myself into that frame of mind and I, I. Through that, like, I kind of plan my day and weed out what I need to do and what I don't need to do because my brain is always, like, I have to keep control of it because it's always, it's always rolling, thinking of what's next. And um, that's kind of how I start every day. And then I take my kids to school and, and I work, man. And I, I, every day for me, since, like, I, I work for myself, it can, every day could either be Monday or every day could be Saturday, mm-hmm. you know? And I try to keep it, like, every day is Saturday, or at least mentally, Yeah. It's crazy to me because that schedule you just laid out is the schedule of a lot of our top performers. Like, what I heard you say was, okay, your dad said be a professional, right? So you wake up early, meditate, clear your head, prioritize, spend time with your daughters who are your top priority, get to work, and when you're at work, you work. You know how many artists, you said I weed out what's important. You know how many artists don't? They wake up whenever, they paint whenever, they work when they're right. inspired. They get sunk in their phone, whatever. You know there's what I mean? They get sunk in emails. Yeah. It's like, how do you, and there's a lot of our top guys, we always say, um, you have to fight this temptation that you, you trick yourself into thinking you're doing something effective when really you're not, right? right. Like you trick yourself into, the, oh, like, oh, this is effective. I'm going to reply to 
81 emails today. You know what I mean? When really, like, you need to be working on your craft. Yeah, I like hit the, I'm more of like a hit the ground running type of guy. And like, I, yeah, when I'm in the studio, the phone's on, the phone's on silent. And I just, I play music through it and I work. And then that's it. You know, I got an Apple watch so that like, if my wife hits me up, but she only texts me while I'm at work, she'll only call me if it's an emergency. That's it. When I'm in here, it's, it's to work. And that's the only way I'm able to keep things like nine to five. And my friends that know me well, they don't, they don't take it personal. I get back to them when I'm out of here. Like even when you would hit me up, I'd always get back to you at like 5.30 my time once I'm, I'm out. And then I leave, I leave that here and I go home and I'd be a dad and available to my wife and my kids. And like, that's the only way to kind of find a, a balance, a healthy balance with what I do. Cause um, I, I, I worked at home for a long time and when I'm working at home, I can't turn it off sometimes. And I'm not in the moment. I'm home, but I'm not in the moment. Your body's home, but your mind's not, right? Yeah. Um, last question I'll ask you is, um, you've, you've worked with really big people. You've had a lot of success. Your art's displayed on a world stage. You've shipped all around the world. Nike, the most important uh, athletic and lifestyle brand in the world, sure. commissioned you to do that work. How do you, you, you have this, this air of gratitude and humility about you. How do you stay grateful and humble and not, this might be a hard question to answer, but you, 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 a lot of people would take this and be really arrogant. A lot of people would be like, well, I made it, man. If you want that piece, I'm gonna call you back or I'm not. Like, how do you maintain the, the perspective and the humility? Oh, I mean, I mean, there's, there's a lot of artists out there. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I've never forgotten, you know, kind of where I came from and, and just always, always hearing like, oh, you know, you're gonna starve as an artist. You're gonna go, you know, all the artists are either starving or they're crazy and like, um, for me, that wasn't an option, man. And I, I think what really always has driven, I've always been very driven. And what's driven me is just that I've never quit. I'm not a quitter. Um, I've always been really driven to prove everyone wrong who told me that I couldn't achieve this. And, um, you know, it could all end tomorrow, man. I mean, there's, there's no, yeah, I've always, I'm, I, I've always been real humble with what I do. And uh, I'm grateful I get to do it every day for a living, man. That's, that was all I ever wanted. Like, I have my dream life now, so. So cool. Nothing to be arrogant about, man, <laughs> you know? There's a million dudes that make way better art than I do. Well, yeah. I, I'm super impressed by it, man. I think this has been very helpful. There's a lot of really good nuggets in there, and I just appreciate that you take the time to share the wisdom and, and what you've learned and open your studio up to oh, us. My pleasure, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.